You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow us, Bright City Church, on Instagram. Today's message is from a friend of Bright City, and we know you're going to love it. All right. I think I could get used to a non-introduction wherever I go. It just feels, feels good. <laughs> well, hey, listen, I wanted us to, uh, to take just a minute. Uh, Debbie mentioned Nick being out for a, uh, a cardiac event, and I just wanted us, us to take a minute as a larger church family, which I'm sure you've done, but just for me, really selfishly, to, uh, to honor him, but then for us to take just a moment as a church and pray for him. Um, man, I love Nick so much, and there's a lot I could say and I'll randomly get emotional (laughs) about him, just talking about him, because he's one of these guys that isn't celebrated very often, but he's so worthy of being celebrated. Such a humble leader, servant, and we all know, we've seen stuff with loved ones in our lives, or friends, family close to us, go through something medically, and you realize just how fragile your life is and how little control you have over your next breath and what a gift each of them are from God. And so, man, Nick's just the real deal. Um, When nobody's around and when everybody's around, uh, he's the kind of guy I want to be like when I grow up. I don't know exactly what that means. I guess that's impossible since I'm a little older. But but I love him, and I want to encourage you to use words to uh, to let him know the same. I know oftentimes we can feel a a certain way about people and... uh, you know, get in conversation, be like, oh, of course I love him, and I think so highly of him, and uh, it turns out the words have just never come out of your mouth, and so in this season, I feel like, uh, man, encouragement is extra special, and so if you've got some words in your heart or your mind uh, for him being the leader of the house, man, I would say use the words, and let's encourage him, lift him up, cover him in prayer. Let me pray for him now, and we'll jump into our time together. God, I thank you so much for Nick. I'm so grateful that you saw fit for uh, for me to be able to call him uh, a brother-in-law. And I'm thankful, God, just for his leadership, for his voice, for his faithfulness, uh, how he serves each of us for the many ways that he's shown up for me uh, in my life on hard days when I'm down or discouraged. I always know that there is a brother praying and fighting for uh, me, that he's always available. And so I just pray that in a, a way that only you could today, he would feel encouraged, he would feel surrounded, he would know how much we love him, uh, that it would be just a day of overcoming, of joy, of victory, and of blessing. And so we, uh, we thank you for him, and we speak healing over his body. Uh, you know exactly what's going on in him. Every cell, God, we just speak into alignment and order. We speak health and blessing over him. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Well, now that that's over, <laughs> I was thinking about talking about Nick on the way here, crying. I was just like, maybe I'm... I don't know. I was about to make an appropriate joke, but I won't do that. So, because uh, <laughs> I want to come back, I don't want to get too out of too out of control. So I may I may date myself just a little bit here, but I'm curious what you were doing from September to ninth of 1990 through May of 1996. Is there anybody in the house who is a fan of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Can I see some hands around the room? I need you to join me. We'll just do the beginning. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. All right, there we go. In West Philadelphia, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
So the text that, that I was assigned today, I tell Katie oftentimes that like, man, if I wake up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, there's a song that comes to mind. Like I'll, it'll be mid-chorus. It'll be exactly something I'm thinking, feeling, worried about, whatever. Um, if, if somebody's like, how's your day? I can more easily answer how my day has been based on a rap lyric or a song. It'll just pop into my mind. Well, I was reading the text for today, praying through the message for today, and Fresh Prince was all I can think about. <laughs> I'm thinking about Mary and Joseph setting up job, like doing his thing. Mary's sweet girl. They have this baby. They get visited by this angel in the night. Joseph wakes everybody up, takes them to a foreign land in the middle of a night on a journey. If I woke Katie up in the middle of the night, I'm talking about baby, I just had a dream, we gotta get to Oregon. <laughs> you know, not only would I have a mother-in-law to deal with, I'd have a ticked off sister. <laughs> People be like, I knew that boy was supposed to be on some meds. Look at him. <laughs> Woke everybody up, took him out of town in the middle of the night. As I read the text, all I could think about was, was that sound, how my life got flipped, turned upside down. As you go into the next verse, it says, uh, when a... Uh, when a couple of boys who were up to no good started making trouble in the neighborhood. That's Herod, see? <laughs> making trouble in the neighborhood. <laughs> got in one little fight, his mom got scared. <laughs> Said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. Get out of here. You're going to Egypt, you're gonna live with some family. There were thousands of Jews living in Egypt, this foreign land. Not only that, they make this long trip, right, from West Philadelphia all the way to Bel Air, all the way across the, the world, it seems like, and they were only there for two weeks or so, then they had to come all the way back. I'm just like, man, you talk about flip, turn upside down. This story is straight crazy, okay? So 10 verses, I'm gonna read it to us, and uh, then we will jump into just a couple of observations about this text, all of which will be presented to you by way of 90s hip hop. And so here we go. Starting in verse 13, I was just kidding about that. I am I'm through with singing or rapping today. All right. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, who was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Man, those names are trippy. Have you ever realized when you're reading your Bible, like you come across a name like Archel Archelaus, 
And like in your mind, I think you just go like blah, 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 blah. That he heard blah, 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 was raining in Judea. But you'd be up in front of people and try to read it out loud. You think, man, I should have, I should have practiced that. <laughs> I hadn't put those letters together quite like that before. <laughs> oh, gosh. A couple thoughts for us based on this text. First of which, we never outgrow obedience. We never outgrow obedience. 2 John 1.6 says this, And this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. One of the things that caught me in this passage is that in verse 13, an angel appears to him. Get up. Next words. He got up. Verse 20, an angel appears to him and says, Get up. Next words. He got up. They're heading back into town. The angel angel, uh, warns him, so he withdrew. Man, he got a word from God and it shifted his behavior. I'm wondering at what point in the life of a believer does radical obedience get justified by responsible behavior? God gives us a word and we're like, man, I'm I'm going for it. I'm doing it. But then you get married. Then you're like, well, I was going to do it. But now this woman, she ain't really feeling that. So we ain't going to do that no more. Or then you have this kid. You're like, well, we'll do that, but we're going to have to bring our stroller and our pump. We've got to make sure there's an outlet, right? And I'm going to need a refrigerator. Uh, make sure they got almond milk because she don't like that normal milk. She doesn't respond. You know, like all oh, these other things. Well, I drive a hybrid, and I need to make sure there's somewhere I can pull over to charge my vehicle. If we're going to be going that far, I can only get 229 miles. You know, like all of these other things. I remember when I was in college, Katie and I heard about this event called One Day. It was like a kind of like a Christian Woodstock for college students. It was just going to be this couple day like worship event. And we both kind of pretty radically came to Christ our freshman year of college. And we grew up in the church, could tell you all the stories, all the, you know, Bible stories. But our freshman year is when our faith really became personal. We really started living on mission, got serious about our, our walk with God. And I heard about this event and just felt like, man, there is going to be a huge move of God for college students here. I've got to do everything I can to like get people there. And so I'm praying about this event and I felt like God told me, I want you to ride a bike to it. Well, we lived in Columbia, South Carolina and the event was in Germantown, Tennessee, 729 miles. And I was like, okay, God, not questioning like, well, couldn't we just drive a car? You know, like that's a long way. God was like, I want you to ride a bike to it. And I was like, all right. And so I went down to the, the cycle center, downtown Columbia. I said, hey, there's going to be this event in Germantown, Tennessee. I felt like God wants me to ride a bike to it to help raise awareness about, about this event. And the guy was like, well, our Cannondale rep's coming tomorrow. I'll ask him. And I mean, I say I had to go to cycle center because the other big problem with this word from God is I didn't own a bike. Right? I'm like, well, God, if you want me to ride a bike to Germantown, Tennessee, we're going to have to find a bicycle, right? So I go, the guy leaves the next day, $1,200 bike. Cannondale rep said, yeah, we'll get behind that. We'll give him three bikes. Does anybody else want to ride with him? I was like, well, that's a good idea. I probably need to take a couple buddies on the bike. <laughs> so I started asking around. feel like God wants me to ride a bike to this event to raise awareness for it. There's going to be a move of God, Germantown, Tennessee. You want to come with me? You know, one guy would be like, I'm good, man. I'm good. But ended up finding two guys. They both came. So then I went to Chick-fil-A. I said, hey, I feel like God's calling me to ride a bike, Germantown, Tennessee, to raise awareness for this event. 
would y'all sponsor us? And they said, yeah, they gave me coupons for 250 Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Come on, somebody. <laughs> for a college student, <laughs> provision <laughs> has come. Right? So I'm like, man, this is amazing. We went to Family Christian Bookstore. Told them, hey, we feel like God's calling us to ride bikes to this event and raise awareness. There's going to be a move of God for college students. Would y'all want to help us maybe cover our lodging? They were like, yeah, we'll either set you up a, a church, youth group, or college group to speak to, uh, or we'll get you a hotel. I'm like, man, that's amazing. All right. So we set off on this trip of 729 miles, took 13 days. I now know why people who bicycle for long distances wear those shorts with pads in the butt. You're going to need those. You better have them. (laughs) It was a long trip, and I don't know that we raised any awareness whatsoever. (laughs) But I sensed God calling us to do it. Our yes was on the table, and we did it. And there were so many times we would be in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, having ridden a bike for 40, 50 miles, not seeing a person. And we would roll up on a woman having a yard sale. We didn't even pass the car all day. I'm like, why she got all this stuff in the yard? A yard sale. She's going to be so disappointed. (laughs) And we would walk up and it would straight up be an angel. Like it would be a miracle. She would say, hey, how's it going? I've been praying for you guys. I knew you were going to come by today. You're almost there. She, like, she would know stuff about what we were doing and our story that we would all get back on our bikes like, what in the world just happened? Right? And so that happened for me at, at 20, 20 years old. And I look back on that, what I would say, radical obedience. And it's become one of those like fishing stories of my faith that when I talk about being obedient to God, when I talk about trusting God, when I talk about my yes being on the table, it's like my mind goes back 22 years ago to this season where I was willing to do something absurd. And I will also say it was the first time I was away from Katie for 13 days. And when she showed up to that event was when we started dating because she she just knew like, I can't be without this dude 13 (laughs) days again. So there was some other blessing that came from my obedience. (laughs) But... In my faith, I constantly look back on that season when I was willing to do stuff that seemed radical because I sensed God leading me to do it. Whereas now, so often in my life, I I evaluate myself and I feel like I've got this responsible cloak on that can keep my feet kind of like set in the ground, that can keep me from doing stuff that seems radical. I remember times where God has called me to give. Katie and I would be in a worship service. There was this one time in particular, this guy was speaking and Katie's always been much more generous than me, but in the message, I sensed the spirit telling me, I want you to double your tithe. And I immediately knew, well, that must not be God because (laughs) we hadn't paid our mortgage yet. And I just start rationally thinking about this as a responsible human of like, well, if we paid that much, we couldn't pay our we couldn't pay our mortgage. Uh, we still we need we need to go grocery shopping. And like I thought through this responsible filter. Second song of response time starts. Katie leans over to me and says, "Hey, babe, I feel like God just said He wants us to double our tithe." And I was like, "Doggone it! He gave me the opportunity to lead." <laughs> you know, and my responsibility like kept me from being radical in my obedience to Him. And when I look at this story. It's like, man, if I'm the mother-in-law, if I'm a family member, if I'm a friend, hearing like getting up the next morning thinking I'm going to see Joseph walking out the door with the coffee like, hey, Joe, 
what's going on with man? It's like, hey, what happened to Joe? It's like, he left in the night for Egypt. You know, had a dream. He'd be like, what? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard, right? So just the invitation and the challenge for us as we grow. Man, I think God calls us to do unique things in each season of our life. He knows Katie and I have seven kids. Man, I hope he never asks us to get up in the middle of the night and leave and go somewhere. <laughs> Once you get everybody asleep, you're like tiptoeing in bed. Please, God, don't wake up. <laughs> you know, like, let me get in bed. He knows the season of life that you're in. He knows the stuff that you're carrying. He knows the burdens and responsibilities. There's great benefit and wise counsel. There are plans may succeed. All of that is like biblical and true. But I couldn't read this text and not be challenged by the reality of how many times I, I've justified my radical obedience to something I felt like God was calling me to do and put a label on it of responsible behavior. Anytime we say yes to the Spirit's leading, whether it's to share our faith, to give of our resources, to sacrifice in some way, to go somewhere, to do something, man, you can take it to the bank. He's going to show up. He's going to bless. He's going to provide. You're going to get to experience the, the miraculous because playing it safe when it comes to our lives is in no way playing it safe. It's missing out on the epic adventure that God has for each of us. So number one, we never outgrow obedience. Number two, I can trust God with my life. I can trust God with my life. The crazy thing about this text is that we've got a crazy, emotional, insecure king in Herod who's heard about this other king that was born that's now killing all the children in the land under the age of two. He was born in a time where he's got a teenage mom, right? They're, they're leaving in the middle of the night to go to a foreign land, leaving their network, their home, their family, their jobs, their source of provision. It's like, man, if I've ever questioned my ability to trust God with my life in the seasons where I felt forgotten, uh, in the seasons where maybe you've been praying for a spouse, looking for a spouse, and ain't finding no spouse. You're wondering, like, has God forgot me? In the seasons where you've pursued a degree, you've invested in the school, you've gotten there, you've made the sacrifices, you've gotten hold of the education that you wanted, and now you're applying for jobs, applying for jobs, applying for jobs, and nothing seems to be making sense. Man, I can trust him with my life. He stripped himself of glory to be born a baby into this hot mess with an angry, insecure kid. I'm just thinking of all the times in history, of all the places in the world. Man, if you feel like your life is a mess, if you feel like stuff isn't working out for you, and you've got some authority, right? You've got some opportunity. You've got some changes you can make, some things that you can do. But he was born as a baby, fully man and fully God. The Bible tells us that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. For any of us now, if I were to go get a, a baby out of the nursery and give him my car keys, like none of you would be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. And the biggest concern we would have is too much drool getting in the key fob and it not unlocking the car anymore, right? There's a lot of power available in a vehicle, but none of us are afraid of a baby doing anything with it. And the same was true for Jesus. Fully man and fully God, but still he came in the package of a baby dependent on a mom and a dad to protect, to hear from God and obey. 
He had to fully trust, right? He was powerless to do anything for himself in that moment because he came as a child. And as I read through this story all too often, man, I just, again, in my responsibility, in my maturing, in my growing older, I, I believed that I could trust God with my life in my freshman year of college. I didn't have a whole lot to lose. You know, like, so I was trusting him with all I had because it wasn't much. Right? But the older we get, man, the more stuff we gain, the more resources we have. We may never say the words out loud, but we, we start to play it and think as if, man, I've got to play these cards right. I don't want to lose what I've worked so hard for. I don't want to risk too much. We can start playing it safe, which again is not playing it safe at all. And the reality is I can trust God with my life. Much like I first did then, man, I can do it today. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. When Katie and I got engaged in, in college, I um, filled up her apartment with roses. I went and got like, I drove from Columbia to Charlotte because I found a great deal on them. I didn't factor in how much gas costs, so I don't know that I got all that great a deal. But I thought because I was buying like 300 of them, it was smart, you know, and so whatever, is what it is. Drove to Charlotte, filled up my little car with these roses and drove them back to her apartment one day. She got off work, and I mean, it was like roses, 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 everywhere, roses, vases. I don't even think I had enough vases. They might have been propped up on the mantle. There were roses everywhere. And so I had gotten one of the roses and folded the, folded the leaves kind of up close and worked the ring up towards the top of the, of the rose and kind of carefully pulled the little, little, whatever you call branches, back through it. And uh, once she got home, I said, uh, you see one that's your favorite? Which I realize now was another dumb question, but I was just like, it was a bunch of roses. How could she have a favorite? But that's what I said. And I was like, you can't? All right, I'll pick one out for you. So that, that was my question to go get the one that I had worked the ring up, you know? So I, I walk across and I pick the, pick the ring and I had it kind of hidden, pinched in my fingers right here. And uh, I walk over to her and I get down on a knee and she's like, are you, are you okay? Are you okay? And she got down on the floor with me. I'm like, God. <laughs> It's like I didn't see it going. I didn't see it going this way. <laughs> and so, like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. So I tried to get a little bit lower. You know? <laughs> like, this thing ain't working out. You, you just sit, sit down, right? My, my hands are shaking, my lips are quivering, right? But I, I read her this verse because the reality of what I was about to ask her to go with me on was a wild adventure where I didn't have a whole lot of answers. Even when I think about Debbie and Gibson in that season, it's like I'm coming to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. And I mean, Katie's like the unicorn. I came over asking for the unicorn. It's like the prized pony. You know what I'm saying? I was like, and I'm asking like, what are you gonna do for a living? You know, I, I didn't, I, I don't know. <laughs> I wanna be a youth pastor? <laughs> well, you're a history major, so I'm not really seeing how that's gonna work out, you know? Anybody comes to ask for one of my daughter's hands in marriage, I've got a lot of questions for them, right? It's going to be hard. I'm going to be hardcore, right? But I just said, hey, I don't know what our future is going to look like. I don't know how we're going to provide for ourselves, but I do know if we will trust in the Lord. And I started ripping off branches in all our ways, if we'll acknowledge him, 
Then I let go of that ring, baby, and it slid down the straight stem. I said, he will make our path straight. <laughs> I was trying to distract her with a devotional so she would say yes to marrying me. You know? <laughs> See, the reality in your life and mine, when you were 20 years old and in college, when you're in your 40s and realize you still don't have it figured out, now you've got all these other kids to provide and care for. In the seasons that you planned and saw coming and in the seasons that you never saw coming, you can trust him with your life. When you're holding a lot or when you're holding a little, you can trust him. When you feel like you've got all the answers or when you have no answers, you can trust him with your life. He came as a baby fully dependent on some unprepared, ill-equipped parents in a time of a crazy, man, it was a mess. But he could trust his father with his life, and you and I can as well. So number one, we never outgrow obedience. Number two, I can trust God with my life. And number three, those in authority over me are positioned by God to help bring about his will for my life. This crazy story. Man, we look at a a crazy king that we just say, man, I can't imagine genocide of babies two years and younger just because he was afraid of another king being born and rising up and taking the throne. Man, this is a crazy story. To cause Mary and Joseph to move and leave to go to Egypt in the middle of the night, fulfilling prophecy for an angel to lead them back and then him to withdraw and go to Nazareth that Jesus would be born a Nazarene again, fulfilling prophecy. I read this text and see that over and over in the midst of the crazy, in the midst of the mess, God used the loving leadership of Jesus' parents to hear and respond to the voice of God, to establish the Father's will for his life. God used this erratic, crazy king to cause them to get up and go to bring about his will in his life. Man, good leadership and bad leadership. Bible tells us in Romans 13, 1, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority. Everybody say all authority. All authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Authority is one of those words we have a, an interesting relationship with, right? It just kind of like does something in you because I think we've all maybe seen or experienced amazing authority, leadership like Pastor Nick and Jesse that are humble and servant-hearted and hardworking and have your best in mind, folks that you know that you can trust and you can say, man, I'll, I will follow them. And then we've all experienced some abusive authority, negative authority, bad authority that can like skew our perspective on all authority in general. And the reality is, man, authority is a gift from God that's been established by God. That doesn't mean it's all good, much like Herod. God had graced him to be in that role as well, much to bring about the will of God in the lives of so many. I remember when Katie and I lived in Columbia. uh, It was our second church that I was was a youth pastor at, my first like official adult job, I would say. And uh, that was the season in which our our marriage just about fell apart. Uh, Katie was pregnant with our third child, and we've shared our marriage story here before. Uh, Ultimately, I had gotten locked in on on ministry and flipping houses and pursuing a degree. Katie was starting work, and in time, we had just drifted to a point where Katie had given her heart to someone else and didn't know that she wanted to be married to me anymore. She said, I don't love you anymore. I don't know 
if this is what I want, and something that I never would have imagined happening. Like, I, you hear about those kind of stories, but that's not our story. You know, like, that's never going to be us, and, and it was us. We were in that spot. So I go to the pastor of the church that we were serving in uh, the next morning. That was a Sunday night that everything kind of hit the fan. The next morning I go and tell the pastor what my wife had shared with me. And he treated me like I was the one that was in sin. On that Monday, he said, well, Wednesday night, you're going to speak your last message to the youth group. And then um, you're not allowed back. And I just remember, like, looking back, I want to think that I would have left anyway to focus on our marriage, to save our family. But I've always kind of been loyal to a fault and struggled to to make bold steps once once we've gotten like provided for and and cozy if you will and like I, I don't know I don't know that I would have left but man I look back on that season now and think like man we could have had so much church hurt because in a town and place where we needed the church to be the church for us we were straight shunned and it was like man I've given the last five years of my life the the best of me pouring out we find ourselves in a dark spot and and. We're told we can't come back to church. It's just the craziest. I look back on that season and I'm like, just baffled at how unloving and unkind the leadership felt. But then I also look at where God took us as a result of it. We moved to, to Charleston, found Seacoast, and Nick and Jesse moved here. My mom moved here. God saved and restored our marriage. Things that I don't think ever would have happened in Columbia that I look back now and think like, man, I would not have, I wouldn't change it if I could. Not a piece of the story because God used the brokenness, the pain, the poor leadership to, to reposition and deploy and heal and save us. So for so many of us, I know, man, we've all experienced authority that we would say is lacking, you know, in some way. They can feel difficult, but for you to be encouraged, like one, you can, you can trust him with your life. He made you in his image. He knit you together of all the times and history and of all the places in the world. He chose this place, this time, this tribe, this church, this city, your job, your teammates, your neighbors, your spouse. Katie's had this, this imagery we went through our premarital counseling that for me as the husband being the head of the home, that it was like her riding on a, a motorcycle on the bike, the hair wind blowing in the hair like she can she can submit to my authority knowing that i'm going to be going after god and it's going to be an epic adventure i don't know what places of pain the topic of authority might stir up in you what places of resistance you might feel like i just don't trust it it's hurt me it's wounded me Uh, but for you to know for good or bad you can trust him with your life and he's going to use authority over you that he's established to help position you for where he wants you to go in the future let me pray for us God, I thank you so much for, uh, for Bright City, and I'm thankful for, uh, for this season, just for this time of year. And I, I just speak radical obedience over their lives when it comes to their giving, when it comes to their serving, when it comes to their sacrifice, when it comes to their willingness to share their faith, to make bold moves for you. Pray that they would be known as a, a people whose yes is on the table because they know they can trust you with their life. Whether they're brand new to the faith, they've been walking with you for a long time. They can trust you with their resources. They can trust you with their gifts. They can trust you with their dreams and desires. You are faithful and you are good. And 
I just ask now that uh, as we, we turn towards Christmas, as we set our focus on remembering your coming and anticipating your return, that we would lean in and just experience your great love for us, your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening into Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.